How many of y'all have ever bought Nike apparel? Now, come on now. All right, how many of y'all know somebody who's bought Nike apparel? All right, those of you who are not raising your hand have some issues we need to deal with after the service. What's their motto? Just do it, their company byline. Interesting, isn't it? Just do it. You know where that came from? We don't know either. (laughs) There are two possibilities, evidently. Two possibilities. But the one that seems most likely is it actually came from a uh, a murderer who was on death row. And he was um, about to face the firing squad. And he uttered, let's do it. Let's do it. To which Nike then, um, years later, when they were in a marketing, advertising kind of powwow session, they were fighting Reebok for the market share in the, the late 80s, and they were trying to rebrand their, their image, and this came up, and one of the executives said uh, within a, a meeting, you know, there's something about you Nike guys, you, you just do it, and wait, that, ooh, that sounds, that sounds like that, and that, that might work, just do it, Let, let's do it. The brand um, and that, that language, that motto, carried Nike in the 90s well beyond what Reebok could do, and it brought them billions and billions of dollars worth of sales and, and a huge market share. Branding and, and promotions was a huge part of what they did. In fact, they would come up with commercials, and you all know them, and we're going to see one of them here, but it, it makes you feel a certain way. Just do it. Just do it. So here's the Nike, one Nike commercial on Just Do It. This is the kind of thing that they're trying to get after. Nike, just do it. What do you feel like? You ready to go? Let's sign up and do something. I don't know. Again, you do jump rope or dance or punch or skate or whatever. I mean, the Nike deal is meant to tap into the something within all of us that loves to kind of worship people who have great grit and determination. Who they get, they get punched and they get up and they come fight again and, and they do the X Games things that we never could do, and they win when we would never win, and, and there's something within our culture, right? And there's something within us that just loves, 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 loves people with great grit and determination. And conversely, it's true as well. We really, we have a hard time respecting people who give up, right? They drop out of the race. They leave when things get hard, and they quit when things are just the pressure has just turned up a little bit. But when they persevere and when they stay, man, those people, we respect them. In fact, you probably have people like that in your life, right? Your coach, your teacher, a grandparent, a mom or a dad, a spouse perhaps, 
probably some of the most influential people in your life were people who you looked at and you said, they just did it. I mean, you, you didn't say it like that, but you are learning from them because they saw something in you and, the, and you saw something in them that was like, man, they can teach and I wish I could teach like that and I'm going to listen to whatever they say. Man, the, the coach said that I could do it and I don't think I can do it, but because coach said I can do it, and he believes in me, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. And, and my grandfather, when I went to visit him, we went to the cabin, we had a talk that weekend, and he told me something about my parents that I'm never going to tell them. But no, he told me something He told me something that so encouraged and moved me, and I want to be like my granddad because I see the way that he lives to the end of his life, and I just respect that determination of his faith about him. And my music person and my art person and, and whatever, my spouse, when they went through cancer and they had this outlook, and I just, their grit and determination is something that I want to emulate. I want to be like that. So probably for you and for me, the people who I respect the most and who are the greatest influencers are the people who just kind of did it, just kind of did it. And here's the thing. Here's what I think. I think that there are, are three things. I think there are three things that, that all of us are, are pursuing. I, I think there are three things that across the board humanity we pursue. And I think there's a reason why. There's a reason why that this grit and determination, this just do it mentality from Nike um, has traction in our lives. Why is it that we're people who love people who get after it like this? Why is it that we as a people across the board, almost everyone would say, I would rather follow someone who never quits than someone who quits. I would rather follow someone who perseveres than someone who doesn't persevere. I don't know anyone who would, who would put it the other way. Why? And here's what I think. That there's something within all of us that we may or may not have verbalized that we are trying to find peace. We're trying to find uh, a place to exist, peace, either with ourselves, with others, or with God. That in everything that we pursue, we're trying to find peace with ourselves, with others, or with God. In other words, here's how this works. I want to have peace with myself, and I don't know if I can have peace with myself until I decide if I can push my body that far. And if I have questions that are unresolved as to whether I can push that far, I don't know if I can rest. I don't want to go home with regrets, so I'm going to keep going. And I don't know, peace with myself, and I, that, I don't know if I could ever date that girl or that guy, but I'm sure going to try. And if I don't, I'm going to have regrets, and I'm going to wish so that I would have done something different. And I don't know if I can ever make that much money, but I'm sure going to try because I don't want to live with the regret that I didn't try to make that much money, or I never tried to have that job, or I never tried this kind of thing. And there's something within all of us that we want to look at ourselves in the mirror at the end of the day and know with our thoughts, just our thoughts going to bed, I have peace with myself. I've given all that I can give on this thing. I really, really have. We all kind of want that. And so we look to people who have done that. But then there's also this reality that we want peace with other people. That sometimes you come to a, a church or a school or, or work, and you just want to kind of fit in. And you want to say, okay, I need to be at peace with people around me. It's not just about me pushing and making it. It's about me kind of fitting in. So some things that we do are not to test our limits, but to find out, can I get peace with the people that I'm with? So I may all of a sudden decide to take up golf, not because I like golf, but because I think if I take up golf, you guys might like me more. And I might decide to take up scrapbooking. I won't decide to take up scrapbooking. <laughs> 
but I might decide to take up something or do something that would get me closer to peace with you because you like that and I want to fit in with you. And so there's pursuits in our life that we take on because I want peace with you. And then there's also kind of a deeper level of peace that I pursue and that is a little more uh, subjective, a little more mysterious, but also very, very true. This kind of peace with God. I want to pursue peace with God. Now, I don't know what you mean by God, but this peace with, in my mind, the God of the Bible. That I want to, at the end of the day, I want to almost feel like I'm worth God's attention. And I don't know, if we were honest, I mean, come on now, if we're honest, I would say, and I, I felt this way, that I feel more worth God's attention and more worth God's grace when I help the little old lady across the street than when I don't. Right? Then when, when I let the person out in traffic in front of me or when I don't, I just feel a little nicer. Right? I, mean, I just feel a little more moral. I just feel a little gooder. Right? You ever feel that way? I've done something good. I could have slept in on Saturday, but I came and I raked leaves with the church youth group and we did that deal and it was great and I gave up a whole weekend to do something on a, on a retreat thing and, and I actually gave money to the offering thing that went by. That kind of felt good. It kind of hurt, but it was good. And so I kind of feel like I'm building a resume to God to say, God, I want to make peace with you and I want you to know that I'm trying here, okay? I want you to know I'm trying. So I'm giving it my best. I'm trying to be faithful. I'm just trying to find peace with you to make myself more presentable. And here's what I'd like to suggest to you, that in all of this stuff that we do, that this just-do-it mentality has a, is a primary driver for all of us to do this, that we want to get up in the morning and kind of lace on our or pull up, pull up our bootstraps and say, I'm going to get after this peace with myself. I'm going to try this the hardest. I'm going to try to connect with people. And I'm going to try to get peace with God. And I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. Whatever it takes, man, I've got it. And hey, we love people who are gritty, who persevere, who are strong, who even in their weakness don't give up. Even when bleeding, don't stop. They just keep going. I want to be like that. I'm going to find this peace. I'm going to find it. And then somewhere along the line, and you know this as well as I, somewhere along the line, that whole thing kind of breaks down. Somewhere along the line, something happens in your life, something you cannot control, and all of a sudden you realize, I can't, I can't, I can't just do this anymore. I can't just do the things that I want to do. I can't just find this peace with God. I can't, I can't even find peace with myself. I can't, I can't find peace with other people. I can't do it. And here's what I want to say this morning, that as, as we're beginning this new series this morning, a uh, new series, as you see it up here, it's called Just Did It, that there's another way, there's another way to this peace. There's two ways to pursue this peace. One is through the just do it mentality, and the other is through the just did it line. And the just did it line understands that God himself has already done for us all the things that we ever want to do in this world. He has already provided for us a means to peace. He has already invited us to the finished work of righteousness, of perfection in his eyes, to say, come, come, come. Stop pursuing the just do it and come to the just did it. It's been done through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For nine weeks, I want to look at this with you. In, in the pursuit of this, in nine weeks, we're going to be covering the first three chapters of the book of Romans, where the Apostle Paul writes to a church in Rome, 
and is explaining to them the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, buried, dead, buried, and resurrected, and the implications of the gospel message for all the things that I pursue, all the things that I go after, the entire way that I get after my whole life. And here's what I want to say about this this morning, that essentially this, that when my faith isn't exercised enough, my effort becomes good enough. When my faith isn't exercised enough, my effort becomes good enough. If you could say that there are two ways to pursue peace, there's two ways to pursue righteousness, if you will. One is through just do it, which is my effort. I'm just going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it a run, give it a run, give it a run. The other is through my faith in God's effort, through Jesus Christ. And here's what I know, that when our faith and my faith is not exercised enough, that my effort becomes just good enough. And here's what I mean by that, that we can, even as people who might say, who are listening online or who are sitting here this morning, who might say, if I were to press you and talk to you personally, yes, I believe in God, yes, I believe in Jesus, yes, yes, yes. When, when we come to that point in our lives, when we are okay with, without pressing into elements of faith, without pushing our faith farther, without being willing to say, God, I need you to use me in my family as an agent of change. I need you to move in me to bring people to the cross and the gospel. I need you to move in me to shape everything about my heart so that people around me are seeing not just me but the gospel. When we become content to say, man, I'm going to give it my best effort. I'm going to show up at church. I'm going to give. I'm going to teach in Sunday school. I'm going to make the effort that I need to make. When our faith isn't exercised enough, our effort becomes good enough. And that is the last thing that I want for you and for us. The last thing I want for us is to enter into an unspoken agreement here with one another that our effort, our effort, our morality, our choices are good enough. They're good enough for right now because we can just do it. We can just balance our budget. We can just be kind to one another, at least kind enough. We can just kind of deal with conflict as we want to. Our effort, and don't get me wrong, we can put out some really good effort. When our faith is not exercised enough, then our effort becomes good enough. And what Paul is going to tell us in Romans, and what we already know intuitively, we can never be good enough no matter how good we are. We can never be good enough. And Paul's going to lay it out for us in the, in the book of Romans for nine weeks that Jesus Christ has already done all that we're trying to pursue, peace with ourselves, peace with one another, and peace with God. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to the book of Romans. We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. Paul is introducing himself to the church in Rome in this section. If you don't have a Bible with you, it's not a problem. There's one near you in the pew around you. In in that Bible, you'll find it in the New Testament, which is kind of the second third of your Bible. You'll find the books Matthew, then Mark, then Luke, and John, which are four Gospels, four different accounts of the, the story of the life of Jesus, and then Acts, and then finally Romans. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. Now, Whenever we get into a new book, you need to know what the, what's going on because we can't just jump into Romans without understanding what's happening, and this is a real brief deal, but you need to know this. Um, we don't know how the church in Rome got started. All right? Paul never visited Rome before, so this is kind of funny. Um, Paul is now writing to people in an area of the world in which he has not visited, and he's going to write with authority to them. 
That's kind of interesting, isn't it? So he has to introduce himself to these people. Now, here's what was happening in the, in the Roman world at the time. The, the Jews, we believe, um, started the church about 20 years earlier. And we don't know how it all happened. If Peter had some involvement, we don't really know. But the church kind of grew. Now, imagine what happens. Um, the Jews are building their leadership structure. They have all their Jewish leaders in place. But then, then they begin to fight. They begin to fight amongst themselves about theology, primarily about who is Jesus Christ. And hey, if you're a Jew who believes that Jesus is the Messiah, and you're a Jew who believes he's not the Messiah, that can get a little dicey. All right. Now, have you ever walked into a kid's room? Let's not say your kids or even your nephews. Let's un- totally unrelated to you, right? And there's mass chaos in the room. Ever, ever, that ever happened? Everyone ever do nursery duty, right? And you walk in, and kids are just fighting about, but that toy's mine, but he hit me on that, and she pulled that, and they threw that, and da 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 you ever, you ever walk into that? And what do you want to do? Enough! Stop! I don't care if you were right, and you're right, and you're right, and you're wrong. This is chaos. Just stop, right? You just, stop it, right? And you say it in a loving, gentle, patient kind of way, Right? All right, this is, this is what Claudius did, an emperor in, in the year 49, to all the Jews. He's like, guys, stop. Enough. Get out. Seriously. And he kicked all the Jews out of Rome. Isn't that awesome? How fun would that be? This is not, this is not like Hitler and, and all that. This is not a genocide deal. He just said, you guys have to leave. You're fighting this is ruining my empire. I don't really care about your religion. You guys are making it bad politically and economically. Stop it. Get out. So all the Jews out of Rome, 49 AD. What do you think happens to the church? All of a sudden, the people who built the church, gone immediately. Imagine next week you come back and, and the leadership structure is gone. And whoever is volunteering, gone. I mean, anyone who kind of was forming this, gone. Ooh. What happens? Someone steps into the, to the vacuum. And what happens is the Gentiles, that is those who are not of Jewish background, come in and they begin to fill the void left by the Jews. So you have a church now that that has Jewish background, but now has Gentile leaders. Claudius dies, and so the Jews were like, hey, emperor's dead, let's go back to Rome, because I liked it better in Rome. They have Starbucks with Wi-Fi over there, and they don't have it over here, so let's go back there. So they go back to Rome, and now they come back, and now you can imagine there's a little bit of a tension, right? Because for seven years, um, the Gentiles have been leading the church. And the Jews were like, hey, we had this place first. And they're like, yeah, but we're leading it now, so what do we do? Because your way of doing things, Gentiles, is very different than our way of doing things as Jews. So you have two people who are kind of coming back together right around 56 AD. And Paul sees this, and he's writing to that church and essentially asking for an invitation to come speak to them. And so he introduces himself, and in the middle of all that, he writes... Romans to this church is trying to figure out what do we do. And one of the primary things that he's telling the people in Rome, and he begins right away, is, is your focus, because you can imagine this is ripe for conflict, your focus as a church has got to be on the gospel of Jesus Christ, on all that he has done for you, and what the gospel means, and that the gospel has provided for you righteousness and peace for what you are pursuing. And so he writes, beginning in chapter 1, verse 1. And he says, as an introduction of, of himself to the Romans, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, introducing himself as a bond servant, 
called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel, verse 2, he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pause it right there. Paul has said a ton in just the first couple of verses. First of all, he identifies himself, I'm a servant, I'm a slave, my life is committed to Jesus. I'm an apostle, I've been called to this great message of proclaiming the truth of Jesus. And then he says, verse 2, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets, excuse me, in the Holy Scriptures. He He is helping the Jews know that this gospel is a part of your history. You're a little Jewish boy or girl, and you grew up, and your parents taught you the Jewish um, prophecies. They, they took you through the Old Testament, law and prophets. You knew there was a Messiah to come. And so Paul is appealing to you as Jews who are coming back, hey, this is not new. This is a fulfillment of the old. He was promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And then he says here, regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And here's what's so important for us to understand about the gospel, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is both, both, and some of you heard this before and some haven't, but fully man in every way he's man, he's human. I want you to think about that for a minute. Jesus Christ is fully human in in every way but sin is is human. And by the way, you can be sinless and be fully human. Okay? Adam, before the fall, was completely human but was sinless. Sin does not define our humanity. The image of God on us defines our humanity. Jesus is fully human in every way, experiencing what we do except not experiencing sin. Experiencing temptation, experiencing sorrow, experiencing trouble, experiencing pain, experiencing disappointment, experiencing the things that are part of our human experience. And so we have somebody who has walked in our shoes, a great leader, who if I were to look just at Jesus' human life, okay, if I were to try to find somebody to follow who is simply a good human leader, I would put Jesus up there. And I've talked about this before. I would probably follow anybody who, if I told you, if I lined up 12 of you up here and I said to you guys, hey, listen, I need whoever goes back through this aisle, through the foyer there, you're going to be crucified. And what that means is you're you're going to be beaten badly and hung up on a cross with with nails through your arms and your feet. And you're going to be on public display in the parking lot for all of us to see when we leave here in a few minutes. Who's up? It's for the greater good. We need you to do this. We need somebody to do this. Who's up? I'm telling you, I would follow somebody who walked into a city like Jerusalem, like Jesus did, just even at a human level, knowing that this was coming. And yet, with incredible courage, walked into that city, knowing that this was coming. An incredibly courageous man. An incredibly compassionate man. Hey, hey guys, stop bugging the children. Disciples, let the children come to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Puts them on his knee and talks to them and cares for the kids. 
an incredibly empathetic man who weeps with people who are in sorrow. A man who, even just at a human level, I would follow for his leadership. But here's the problem with any great leader. For me as a kid, I loved, I loved watching Michael Jordan kind of carry the Bulls through the playoff series. I loved watching stories of uh, Ironman triathlons of people who you know, worked at Home Depot, but, but they ended up going on to do all kinds of great things. They weren't really multimillionaires, but they just had great grit and resolve. No matter how much grit and resolve people have, death wins for us in the sense that you can't beat that thing. Try as you might, Jordan's going to die. Try as you might, Kobe's going to die. Try as you might, you fill in the blanks, your favorite whatever, they're going to die. And then we have a man, Jesus, who came, and he was an incredible human being, fully human. And then the next section says here in verse 4, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. That all of a sudden we have a leader to follow, someone to follow who has done something that no one else in the history of humanity can do, and that is beat our greatest enemy. There is, there is no one, there is no one else who has ever done that. There, there is no one else who has ever beaten death, come back to life to lead an incredible movement. Who was declared through the power of the resurrection, the Son of God. That Jesus, not only human in all ways but sin, is also fully in all ways, fully God. Incredibly difficult to imagine the two coming together. They do in the person of Jesus. And the resurrection, the reason for Easter, is what brings Jesus into focus. And I, and I would tell you, if you could find somebody else to follow who has beaten death, follow him. If you can find somebody else who can say, I'm a great leader, but when I die, I'm planning to come back and then start life part two. I mean, go for it. But if you can't figure out the death problem, then we've got a problem. But if we have figured out the death problem, we have an incredible solution. We have an incredible hope for our future. Someone who just did it, if you will. Someone who has done for us the things that we can't do. And that is find peace with our God and find peace with ourselves and find peace with one another. And this is what Paul says, that he is an apostle to the gospel of God, which is promised beforehand through the person of Jesus, fully human and fully God. And check it out, he continues, verse 5. Through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from, and what's that word? Good, four of you were tracking with me. To call people, let's see it one more time. Verse 5, through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. It's obedience that comes from what? Faith. It's obedience that comes not from effort, not from the just do it side, right? But obedience that comes from, one more time, what? obedience that comes from faith in what? In the finished work of Jesus, in the resurrection of Jesus. That my life, my response to the resurrection of Jesus is obedience out of effort? No. Out of I need to, to make peace with God, so I'm going to give, I'm going to give, I'm going to give? No. 
Obedience that comes from, one more time, comes from faith. Obedience that comes from saying and knowing and living in the reality that my world, my worldview is owned by my faith in Jesus Christ. That I can no longer pursue righteousness my way. I need to pursue it through faith. And this, he says, and you also, verse 6, are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And then he offers this to all in Rome. Check it out in verse 7. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. And he puts all the, the fighting Jews and the fighting Gentiles who are trying to figure out what to do, he puts all of them together in this statement. To everyone who's loved by God and called to be saints. He says, and I want you to read this section with me. Here we go, ready? Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. What does he offer to them? Two words at the beginning. Grace and peace. And we read that, if you've read your Bible, you read that, you just read over that like that. Yeah, grace and peace, you grace and peace. Slow that one down. Grace. What part does grace have in your effort? What part does grace have in the Nike commercial to just do it? Peace, grace I give to you. Grace and peace we offer to you. And I'm telling you, and you know this, I cannot and we cannot hold out grace and peace to you if I'm also telling you, do it, do it, do it. Push for it, go for it, go for it. You've got to do more, respond more, obey more. Out of this, out of this, out of this. Grace and peace for all of our pursuits, peace with myself, for the demons that I'm fighting, for the habits that I'm struggling with, for the things that I wish that, that were not true about my history and my background and the struggles that I have now, the peace that I want to have with myself, the peace that I want to have with God to know that at the end of my days, God is going to be pleased with me, the peace that I want to have with you, not to be in conflict with, with anyone, and as much as it depends on me to live at peace with everyone. All of that peace that I want in this world, grace and peace through Jesus Christ and faith in him. So this morning, here's what I'm asking for you to think about. You are in a position of influence right now. You're a, a parent, you're a spouse, you're a student, you're a leader, you're an organizer, you're in business, you're trying to figure out what to do, but you still are influencing people. As you are influencing people, as you are connecting with people, to what degree, to what degree am I pointing people toward the resurrection of Jesus Christ? To what degree am I pointing my kids, my wife, my husband, my family, my coworkers, my friends to say, when you look at my life, it's not about me doing it. It's about me living out the grace and peace that comes from my faith in Jesus Christ. And you see me do some radical things. You might see us as the church do some things that seem kind of crazy, but why are we doing that? Because we're exercising our faith. Because we don't want our effort to be just good enough. We don't want good enough. We want enough faith. So I ask you, who are you influencing and how are you influencing them toward Jesus? On this day, Christ has been risen from the grave. And in that, he just did all the things that we're trying to pursue. All the things that we're trying to pursue. And so I ask you, who are people seeing through your life? Are people seeing the effort that you make 
the great guy, the great gal that you are, the strong push that you make because you're just a good person, you're trustworthy, respectable? Or are they seeing that and then underneath that, on top of that, around it, on the side of it, all around that, this is a man, this is a woman of incredible faith, incredible dependence on Jesus Christ. I can't explain it, but man, I want that. I don't want them, but I want their Savior. Start using that language in your home. Use it with your kids, with your spouse. The language of faith in Jesus to save us. If you're here this morning and you've never come to that place where you say, yeah, I have that faith in Jesus, I trust him. How about this morning? Why not this morning? Where you come and say, you know what? I don't know why or I don't know how, but I want to know more about how in the world I can come to that faith in Jesus Christ. I want to talk with you afterwards. Pastor Joel is ready to talk to you afterwards. We'd love to have that conversation with you. Remember, when our faith isn't exercised enough, our effort becomes good enough. Let's pray together. Our good God and Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we're, uh, we're really grateful for the chance to be here this morning on Easter Sunday and reflect on the truth of the gospel and the resurrection and the hope that that is for all of us. And um, as we come now to a time of reflection and worship and song, as we um, kind of give back to you a vocal offering, a kind of a reflection of our hearts of what we believe to be true, we're going to sing together several songs this morning as we conclude that is going to say that you're able, that you have a great name, that you are a great God. Father, I pray for all of us as we sing, as we sit and stand and and ponder and wonder about the words that we're singing, that these words may be true and may drive home to us so deeply that our faith must be solidly anchored to the person of Jesus Christ that you are an incredible God who is able, who will never, ever, 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 ever fail, that you're greater than all we will ever seek, that you have been lifted up and you beat the grave, our greatest enemy, and that we respond to you out of that and that we live our lives not showing people how good we are, but showing people how strong our Savior is, that when they look at us, they're not seeing our effort And it stops there, man. They are seeing our God and our Savior and the hope that we have for a future, that our children see that, our spouses see that, our co-workers see that, that we are a people who worship Jesus because of his incredible power to beat our greatest enemy, that is the grave. No one else has ever done that. And so we come to you and we say, Father, help us to be courageous, to exercise our faith, to trust you, to lead, to serve, to do what we know we need to do. And you, we will worship, Father, for you, you are able. In Jesus' name we pray.